Welcome to episode number 239 of the Engineering Career Coach Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. In this episode, I'll be talking with Andy Tempty, President and Global Head of Corporate Learning at Kaplan about his upcoming book, Balancing Act, which is truly about being an effective leader of people. Yes, Andy talks about balance in life, balance at work, balance between the two, but this book is packed with really actionable strategies for improving one's ability to lead people, which in my opinion is the most important skill leaders can cultivate. I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I'm a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. Now, before we jump into the interview for today, I would like to remind you that the 18th of February is Introduce a Girl to STEM Day. This day gives young female students a unique opportunity to discover engineering careers alongside world-class scientists and engineers. That is something that we're very focused on here at the Engineering Management Institute. In fact, I was recently selected to the board of directors at The Gems Camp, a nonprofit organization focused on providing STEM awareness and education to underserved girls. I'm really excited about this opportunity. If you'd like to learn more about the camp, you can check it out at thegemscamp.org. That's thegemscamp.org. But really what I want to emphasize here is that so many people talk about STEM and, you know, getting younger people involved in diversity and engineering, but I don't see a lot of people taking action. We need more people taking action. And so I'm hoping that through my efforts, through EMI, we can really try to inspire people to help us to bring more diversity to the world of engineering and support STEM education. I also want to remind you that February 21st to 27th is National Engineers Week. It is a great program focused on promoting the profession of engineering. The National Society of Professional Engineers, or NSPE, offers a wide breadth of resources on how you can help spread the word and get involved during Engineers Week. You can visit NSPE's website at discovere.org. That's discovere.org for more information. I really encourage you to kind of support the profession. It's, it's something that's really important, and a lot of people are so busy today with their projects, they neglect doing that, but we need to keep spreading the word. Now I'd like to tell you a little bit more about our esteemed guest for the episode today. As president and global head of corporate learning, Dr. Andrew Tempty spearheads Kaplan's efforts in helping employees remain relevant in the future world of work, as well as in helping companies continuously improve by attracting the right talent and upskilling or reskilling their workforce. In this capacity, he oversees and leverages assets, capabilities, and talent across Kaplan's global footprint throughout the United States, United Kingdom, Australia, Singapore, the GCC, and Hong Kong. Andy really is a thought leader on issues related to professional education and workforce scaling, and he's been published and cited in a number of media outlets. In fact, I'm going to let him give you a brief overview of his career journey when we get into the interview here, but I will just say that I've known several of Andy's team members that work for him for a while now, and they've just raved about his interaction with them and his leadership abilities. And I was thrilled to be able to get an early copy of his book. Again, it's Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire. It'll be available April 6, 2021, but you can pre-order on Amazon now. And he sent it to me and I basically devoured the book in a weekend because it was just all about interacting with people and good strategies and things that he does to kind of keep himself focused, which he's going to dive into here in a few minutes. 
I highly recommend it. I mean, I read a lot of books, but to me, this one was actionable. I like books that give you something that you can actually do and strategies you can use immediately. So I'm excited to share the interview here with Andy, and I hope that you'll consider checking out his book after you get a good feel for it here. So let me bring you into the interview with Andy with a quote that is very applicable to today's topic. The quote is from Jim Rohn. The challenge of leadership is to be strong, but not rude. Be kind, but not weak. Be bold, but not bully. Be thoughtful, but not lazy. Be humble, but not timid. Be proud, but not arrogant. Have humor, but without folly. All right, now I'm excited to welcome our guest onto the podcast today, Andy Tempty, President and Global Head of Corporate Learning at Kaplan and author of the forthcoming book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, which hits digital and physical store shelves on April 6th, 2021. Andy, welcome to the Engineering Career Coach podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Andy, really excited to have you. And you know, we're going to dive into the idea of balance and leading people. But before we do that, tell our listeners a little bit about Kaplan and your role at the company. Kaplan came into existence uh, back in the late 1930s. Stanley H. Kaplan Educational Centers ended up being all over the world preparing individuals for uh, really high-stakes exams like the GMAT, the LSAT, MCAT, SATs, etc. Kaplan, as at its core, is a business that is focused on really leveling the playing field for various populations, especially uh, folks that find themselves at a disadvantage relative to some other population that has a head start demographically or sociologically. At our roots, at our core, is what our mission says, helping individuals achieve their educational and career goals one success story at a time. So we had our you know, our humble roots uh, there in the late 1930s with Stanley Kaplan and have grown, you know, since the Washington Post companies back in the 1980s bought Kaplan from Stanley Kaplan, have consistently grown in other spaces and, and other educational areas since. Talk a little bit about your role at Kaplan. I came to Kaplan as a product of acquisition back in 1999. November 22nd, to be precise, my business was acquired by Kaplan, myself and a guy named Carl Swazer, who's one of my chief mentors that I mentioned in the book. He and I built the business from scratch starting in 1990. And by the time we got to 1999, we were at a, a real inflection point in the business. Carl wanted to retire. I wanted to take on more responsibility. We were moving from a very analog kind of an environment for education in the late 1990s into the digital uh, sphere and having an organization like Kaplan at our backs seemed like the real logical thing to do. Post-1999, I've had various roles uh, at Kaplan. It's been a wonderful tapestry for me to, to paint various versions of myself over the years, I've been a college president. I've been the dean of School of Professional Studies. I've led professional education businesses, most recently leading all of Kaplan's professional education assets around the world. 
Earlier in 2020, we took three divisions of Kaplan in North America, put them together into what we're now calling Kaplan North America. And, you know, you don't need three chief executive officers for one division. So I've had a keen eye on taking Kaplan's capabilities to the business world. And so my job today in one sentence or less is to put Kaplan on the corporate education map. You had a background, just so our listeners know, technical background, you know, in the finance world, similar to a lot of our listeners where, you know, we come up very technically and then at some point in time, many of us have to make that jump to management. I just want people to know that because, you know, if they read your book and think, well, you know, Andy knows all this leadership stuff because he's been doing it for a while. No, you have that technical background. To be very naked and transparent here, when I was going through my undergraduate and uh, ultimately my master's and PhD, I did literally everything I could to stay away from the management and organization department and marketing and selling and kind of anything that had to do with behavioral human skill, what hopefully we look at in the rearview mirror as a term called soft skills. I want that term to go away if you haven't caught, caught on to that yet. But early in my career, I thought it was all about hard skill. I thought it was all about what you knew and what you could do on the job. If I was a genius jerk, it's a phrase that uh, flies around. But if I was a genius jerk, people looked the other way. People kind of went, oh, that's just Andy. He's being a jerk to the staff, but man, does he know how to balance a balance sheet or wow, does he really know everything that's needed about civil engineering or whatever the case is. I woke up to that the hard way throughout my career, thinking that it was all about technical skill and that a balance or a blend between the two was really the sweet spot for a leader or manager. This is such an important concept for our listeners as engineering professionals, because, you know, like many professions, you get to that proverbial fork in the road where you say, you know, I'm going to stay technical. I want to be a designer, 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 or there's a window. I can go into management. I have an opportunity here. And I think a lot of engineers, number one, fear that day. And number two, are always interested in maybe staying on the technical track, not because they don't like management or don't want to become a manager. They just feel like they don't know how to, and, you know, it's not really taught to them. And so, it's really good, I think, for them to hear your story and that, you know, you did have that real technical, hard skill background. And obviously, today, you're very focused on, on leadership and people and balance, as we're going to talk about here with the book. So I think that that's an important for people to think about. Now, Andy, as we jump in here, I really enjoyed reading the book. And I think there are a lot of points I'm going to try to bring out here to really help our listeners. And I think they will help. I'm going to ask you first in a minute here to talk a little bit about balance, what it means to you. And, and to kind of set this up, I'm going to just read a couple of statements that really resonated me from the beginning part of your book. The first one is, it quickly became apparent that the concept of balance was the thread that tied my personal and professional stories together. Success without balance is often more disastrous than failure with balance. That was a great one. Another one here. Being off balance almost assuredly results in hurting people you care for most because it renders you unable to open yourself up to others' point of view. And my last one, which I know a lot of engineers are going to resonate with, is if you're all about just one thing, you're likely setting yourself up for disaster, especially if that thing is work. And I know right now where there's no separation between work and home, that's hitting home with a lot of people. What is balance 
how do you describe it in your words? Balance really started to become apparent to me, frankly, when I took up yoga and Pilates a number of years ago. I'm 57 years old. I'm not old by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, for our younger listeners out there, the body does start to break down over time when you know you thought you were invincible at one point in your life, and uh, all of a sudden it becomes really apparent that, gosh, I can't go for a 10-mile run and feel good afterwards. Maybe I need to do something else. I'm a very athletic guy. I took up uh, yoga and balance became very apparent as a target condition, but one that is very rarely ever fully achieved. So I don't want anybody to get the notion that the point of this book is that you're always going to be standing, you know, straight with your shoulders back, and you're always going to be in that warrior two pose and be able to strike it the same way every time you're just almost never in perfect balance. Same thing occurs in golf. Same thing occurs in horseback riding. Same thing occurs in almost anything that you do, singing, whatever it is. There are these fleeting moments where it's all together. Most of the moments that you have are moments of that where you are, are off balance. So to me, balance is that target condition that we're striving toward, but never quite ultimately uh, getting to, and that's okay. That's the way that, that it should be. Because the thing that really dawned on me a number of years ago, and I'm in the learning business, but through the process of learning, you purposefully place yourself in an off-balance position. The process of getting back into balance after that disruptive episode, which is some type of learning episode, where I purposefully become uncomfortable, and then striving back toward a place of comfortability, that is a key skill that we all need to uh, learn and nurture, because it's really easy to get knocked off balance and then stay there in some sort of, maybe it's a woe is me kind of of a mindset, or there's a fixed mindset that ensues that it's very difficult to look at other points of view. And so striving toward balance allows things like agility to really enter one's mind as a possibility. And maybe it is me. (laughs) Maybe the current state challenges are me and not somebody else. So I find that irrespective of whether it's my personal life, my professional life, that mental image of striving toward balance is what this book is all about. Balance is kind of a compass in that if you get off balance, there's something there that says, I need to kind of get back there. You're not going to be there all the time. To your point, if you want to learn and grow, you shouldn't be there all the time because you need to be uncomfortable at times because that means you're actually growing. But again, you have that there in the back of your head saying, hey, time for me to kind of get a little bit back to balance a little bit. And then, of course, you'll probably go off again, as you mentioned, because that's just the way of life. See, the beauty of this is there are times when you will get comfortable, frankly, and feel very balanced. It's an unnatural state. 
What do I need to do to become that next best version of myself? How do I need to purposefully become uncomfortable and off balance today to then iterate into that next best version of myself, recognizing that life is a series of loops and curves and in some cases, sharp edges If your listeners learn one thing today, and this is very apropos for an engineering population, is that life is not a straight line. (laughs) Life is not linear. We take these loops, we take these detours. It's got to be okay because the folks that grow up in an environment thinking that everything is linear and B comes after A and C comes after B, and it always must be so, or else I'm going to explode. The sooner that you recognize that sometimes A comes after C because you got to revisit A and live that bit over again and refine it, and then we're going to jump ahead to E, and that's just how life works. A lot of times when I talk to engineers and the the, the idea of this, like, quote-unquote, work-life balance idea comes up, I think it's unhealthy for people to think that they're going to get to some kind of balance, like you said, where you're standing there and everything is great because that's realistic. And I think if you got there, you'd quite frankly, you'd get bored after a while because there isn't any challenges and there isn't any excitement. So if you're out there looking for that, what I think is somewhat elusive, I think kind of Andy's idea of balance is a way, something to focus on, and then you may get there and then you'll get off again and then you'll try to go back, but you're learning along the entire path is certainly valuable. And I think if any of the listeners didn't know that, you know, life wasn't a straight line after 2020, I think they got the picture. So that's good stuff on balance. And that's kind of leading us right into the book. And I want to touch on something that you brought up in in part one of the book that I think is really important. A lot of our listeners are aspiring managers or they are managers or leaders in organizations. And you talk about the influence that managers have on their team members. And you give two specific examples to reinforce this. One was a young child who was scolded by his music teacher for the way he was singing and was told to lip sync. And you talked about how that scolding really impacted him for life. And then you also talked about a high potential employee at Kaplan who was given a specific manager who really focused on developing that individual. And they did so successfully, showing the impact of of kind of managers on their development. You also gave the quote several times in the book, people don't quit companies, they quit managers. All of those things for me added up in the book. And really what it came to for me was that you have influence as a manager. Everything you say, things you do, they can have a big impact on people. And it's so important for people to be aware of that. Can you talk about that a little bit? I think it's all encapsulated in this. I have this example of uh, you are responsible for your own wake. And certainly the hydrologists in your midst, the folks that work with water, will understand this a great deal. And that is, The higher up in the management ranks that you get, the more displacement uh, you throw off in the environment that you are in. So think about your first-time manager early in your career. You're a small speedboat on a large body of water. Well, the wake that you throw off is not going to have a tremendous impact. It definitely will. But As the size of your boat, as the size of your job, your role as a leader uh, increases, especially if the body of water is fixed, hopefully these analogies are resonating with engineers, 
the bigger that wake is going to become and the more power and ultimately the more damage that wake can create to an individual's surroundings. That mindset is absolutely critical because a lot of, especially first-time and mid-level managers, they just don't understand the power of their words. I'd like to really punch this point. A lot of this book is about the power of an individual's words and the damage that words can provide. Most recently, as a year ago, I made a flippant offhand comment to a team member that was, I don't know, two, three levels below me in the organization. I thought it was funny. And the recipient, their lens, I talk about lenses a lot in this book, their filters, their lens took what I said in a very, very different way. And that individual was, if not permanently scarred from that episode, it's damage that didn't need to happen in the first place because I never should have made that, I should have had the situational awareness, the emotional intelligence to know that what was going to be coming out of my mouth was not going to be constructive or helpful for that individual. And managers and leaders, the sooner you can truly get a grip and a grasp on the power of your words and the impact that they have on those around you, the better off you're going to be. Had a company reach out to me recently and they they wanted me to do some executive coaching with one of their engineers. And I guess the manager must have told the engineer that. And when I got on the phone with the engineer to kind of go over what we were going to engage in, I said to him, I said, you know, this is exciting. You know, your company's investing in you. They want to help you grow. They're getting you executive coaching. And he goes, oh man, it's so good to hear you say that. Because when I talked to my boss, my stomach dropped out because I felt like I had to get help. I needed so much help, which is not what I got from his boss. So the way that you say things to people, the interactions that you have with people, they are really lasting. In fact, another thing too, and I know you touch on this at some point in the book briefly, but the annual performance review is, is a big thing. And I remember when I was working as an engineer myself, you could tell like which one of your managers would run through the form and check some things off and not give it a lot of attention and view that review as just something they had to do, as opposed to other managers that really took the time, asked you about your goals and where you wanted to go. And those things certainly stick with you. And so I wanted to touch on this point here because it is a big part of the book. And I feel like because a lot of engineering professionals don't have a lot of management training early on, that's one thing that if you can take away, again, another thing, if you could take something away from our conversation, knowing that as you transition into management is really, really valuable. I have an article that was picked up at Chief Learning Officer Magazine a couple of months ago, and uh, I am very vocal about the need to, frankly, ditch the annual performance review altogether and turn that into something else, a conversation, and that that something else is a conversation about learning and growth and the next best version of that individual. So the annual review needs to just go away and be reinvented, as does the job description, as do uh, transcripts, college transcripts. I mean, all these things have been just perfunctory, check-the-box kinds of exercises that frankly don't build the skill base that we need to be effective humans in the workforce. Andy, another point in the book that I liked is you make mention several times of something known as the movable middle, being kind of middle managers who aren't necessarily engaged in organizations. And you point to these individuals as being a real key to company's success. 
specifically if you can, of course, move them out of that movable middle and kind of re-engage them. Can you talk about that a little bit and you know, how one might think about doing that? The movable middle, uh, we'll also call it the clay layer, also use the term organizational permafrost. I get commentary about how negative those terms sound. They're not designed to necessarily provide a negative connotation. What they're designed to do is to provide a mental image of, again, I'm talking to a bunch of engineers, and you all know what a clay layer in soil does. Water, nutrients hits that clay layer, and it just runs right off, right? It's this seal, basically. Same thing occurs in permafrost. Water tends not to seep down through the permafrost and then runs off. From an organizational perspective, from a business perspective, those concepts, that's the mental image that new ideas, new ways of thinking, new ways of working hit a a management layer that has become accustomed to doing things the same way over and over again. They become comfortable in their roles. They have not made themselves purposefully uncomfortable. It's been probably some long period of time between any kind of formal learning, let alone repetitive informal learning has occurred for those managers. It is certainly a place of comfort. A friend of mine calls it the velvet ditch of an organization. Wow, this really feels comfortable down here in this velvet ditch. Let's stay. But over the top of you, if you can imagine that uh, mindset of a velvet ditch, over the top of you is rolling your competition. They're on a different level. Everything seems fine within the velvet ditch, but your competition has rolled right over you. They're way ahead of their way ahead of you. The other mental image I'd like to provide for your listeners is that we all have these annual employee review, the employee surveys. Are you engaged? Uh, what do you think about your boss? You know, all of those questions. And there's a curve that comes out. You've got the highly engaged. You've got the folks that are somewhat engaged. And then you have the indifference. The indifference in your population, that's that movable middle. And I believe very strongly that learning is the tool to re-engage those populations. Because you gave a great example, Anthony, of that individual who got the coaching and their first mindset was, oh my God, what's wrong? What's happened to me? What's wrong with me? Why do I need coaching? Versus the mindset that should be there, which is the one you described, which is you're being invested in. This is a good thing. But we've got so many learning opportunities in organizations that are these check-the-box, easy-button, perfunctory things that we just want to get over with, that learning in a corporate setting has become drudgery and not something that we all look forward to. You asked me a very specific question, not only what is the clay layer, but then how to re-engage. It's education, and it's education that is specifically designed to be experiential and to be focused on the job to be done in that organization that builds that individual and builds that team and that team's capability. Because after that learning is done, 
and the learning is embedded back into the workplace and comes to life through coaching that I'm so proud of you for engaging in others with, that's when everybody looks around and goes, wow, that helped me, that helped the business. Well, look at what we've, we've been able to accomplish. And that's how that engagement then springs back into place. I do talk to a lot of engineers, whether it's through coaching or training. And it's funny because a lot of their managers or leaders of these companies aren't aware of this, but what these engineers want more than anything is not a bigger salary. It's not a title promotion. It's they want growth and learning opportunities, believe it or not. That's what they all tell me. That's what they tell our instructors is that, yeah, it'd be nice to get a raise, but I'd also much rather be in our the new management and leadership program that the company launched. You know, I want to get into that program. So that's a really important thing, I think, for leaders to know because that goes to your point that if you're engaging people through the proper educational and learning programs and giving them the skills to develop, that's valuable to them. People appreciate that more than giving them a couple more bucks in their paycheck, so to speak. And so I totally agree with you and see how providing that education or that training can really engage people because it's basically a way to say to them, we believe in you. And some of them, a lot of them are going to get it. And fortunately, some people aren't going to get it just because of maybe the culture of the company, you know, they kind of feel like, oh, geez, I need training. That's not a good thing. They must think I'm really falling off here. Or there's been so much bad training <laughs> that's happened within that company that everybody is just so tired of terrible training opportunities that don't lead to specific results that aren't tied to the goals and aspirations of the business that everybody's like, why are we doing these trust falls and beanbag tosses that really don't lead to measurable results for both myself and, and the business? That learning becomes this thing that folks don't look forward to anymore. And we as leaders, we've got to change that equation. At EMI, we've started using the word development more than training just because a lot of engineers now have this connotation of training as I go to some place, I sit there all day, I get a whole bunch of information, I never get the chance to use it. You know, I got a binder, I got 15 binders on my shelf for me going through project management training that I never got to use. So we've been talking more about development programs and you're obviously big into continuous improvement and that's kind of the mindset that we're trying to drive. And I agree with you, we need to really drive that home. And, and staying on the subject of kind of middle management for a second, because we do have a lot of uh, listeners in that space. You talk about this in the book, and I think it's really important is that those middle managers have an interesting challenge in that they need to lead and they need to follow at the same time. It's a very, very challenging thing to do. And you give some tips in the book about how you can make that shift. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of the ability to be able to be a leader and also follow? It's so interesting. If you just go into Microsoft Word right now and you type in leadership, you will not get red squiggly line underneath it. Microsoft Word knows what the word leadership is. You type in followership, it's going to come up with a red squiggly line. Even Microsoft Word doesn't know what followership is. <laughs> and it is a neglected leadership trait. Because the same concept of you're responsible for your own wake, and as you grow in the company, you know, your displacement grows and your weight gets bigger and potentially creates more organizational damage. The same thing applies here. 
We get our first leadership role. Our ego expands a bit. We're all about managing people and some people lording over others. And it's a whole funky kind of mindset that can kick in at the outset. As you grow, if you like being a leader, then all the books that you read from that point forward are about becoming a better leader. And it's all about leadership, leadership, leadership. How do I get more people to follow me? And you don't think the ego gets in the way and you don't think about, oh gosh, I'm still a follower. I still have a boss that sits above me. I have a board of directors. I have customers. I have other teams and other departments in this organization that when we all work together, uh, great things happen. And it is that ability, getting back to the concept of balance, of being able to shift gears reasonably fluidly between being the boss, being the leader, being that individual that everybody is looking up to and frankly looking toward for the next steps in the organization and shifting gears to, okay, how do I need to take a step back here? How do I need to, let's say, follow this other team or the concept of servant uh, leadership really uh, kicks in here. How do I step back and think about how I can help my team develop, set my ego aside, and become a follower today? You're going to learn more. You're going to exercise those things that stick off the sides of our heads called ears. You're going to exercise those uh, a bit more. And uh, I just think so much about followership as a skill that needs to get into conscious working memory of leaders. Everyone has different situations. I mean, for me, when you're running a small business, it becomes harder. I mean, there's as many opportunities for me with followership as I'd like there to be, but I try in different ways to volunteer and do different things to try to learn some of that. But, you know, you have to be on the lookout for it. You really importantly have to know that you need it. And that's kind of the point of having this conversation here. Andy, one of the things that you talk about in your book is effective communication, you know, in a corporate arena. And this is one that I really wanted to talk to you about because I don't know one engineer that hasn't heard advice in their career. You have to become an effective communicator. It's like you hear it every day, you hear it all the time. But unfortunately, what you don't necessarily hear is how you can actually do it. And you give a great strategy in part three of your book you reference the old marketing adage, the rule of seven, which says that you have to say things seven ways through seven modalities for the message to be received and for teams to kind of, you know, be able to grab onto it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I felt like it was a really good, you know, you gave really hard advice there on how to kind of communicate better. If everybody was on watching this over video, I would purposefully put uh, different colored lenses on my and different kinds of glasses on my face because I can't tell you how many times in my career I have been leading a part of the organization. I've been in a meeting or a town hall with, with all of my team members, and I've said something in a logical, unassailable way that is just so crystal clear. And I worked really hard at uh, constructing the argument and constructing the words. And then a week goes by and a team member might come up to me and say, gosh, Andy, that was a really great town hall. I really like when you said X. 
and my heart just sinks because what they relayed back to me as X, I really meant as Y. (laughs) And I just like want to pull my hair out because who is this person and why could they not get it? When you think about lenses and glasses, everybody needs to remember that when you're talking to another human being, that human being is not in the same place that you are. You are almost by definition in a different mental space, mental and physical space, than the person you are talking to. You have no idea if they got out of bed on the wrong side of the bed this morning. You have no idea if their grandpa died the day before. Everybody's got their blank, right? Everybody's got the the stuff that they're dealing with. And so messages are colored by the lenses through which we receive information. And this is literally the hardest thing that you're going to do as a manager is this rule of seven, say things seven different ways, seven times to get a message across because it becomes so painful. (laughs) It is so hard. As an individual, you think, well, I've said this over and over and over and over and over again. Why do I need to say it an eighth time or a ninth time? That's because those glasses and those lenses are filtering information based on that individual's own personal experience in that moment in their life. And if you want that message to get across, you've got to repeat it. You've got to be consistent. You have to be persistent and agile and be able to say it numerous ways. Throughout the book, you talked about this a lot, different assessments, you know, so you understand your own personality, some of your characteristics that could impact some of your communication styles. And it's funny because I guess when you're into continuous improvement, like myself, you can test some things out on your kids, which I do. And I have three kids and I had them take the DISC assessment for kids, which they have online, which is a series of photos. And I had them do it. And it was so interesting to me when I got the results, I was looking at with my wife and I'm like, can you believe that like AJ wants to hear something totally different than the way Brianna needs to hear it? And we're talking to all three of them the same way. I was like, this is crazy. So, I, you know, even they give you like a sheet to give their teachers and stuff. It's really cool. But it really, you know, drove home the point that you just made, which is everybody, not only are you and that person different, but the person next to them is different. The other person you're going to have a phone call with after them is different. And so, you know, if you're communicating the same way to everybody, the chances that you're getting through to everyone are probably zero because people aren't taking it in the same way. So that was something that I really appreciated because like I said, I think a lot of times people are always going to tell you, you got to be a better communicator. I'm always like, how? Like you have to tell people how they can do it. Thinking about your communication style, your attitude, the way that you interpret things, like you said, your lens versus the other people, knowing that if you're talking to two other people, they also have different lenses can really drive it. And, you know, I've had that same experience, of course, with my kids where you tell them something. Didn't I tell you exactly that? I didn't hear that. I heard something else. This is why vulnerability is such an important construct in leadership. Because as a leader, I really have an obligation to let the people around me into my psyche. Not all the way, but at least part of the way in so that they can understand who I am as an individual and how information and decision-making occurs within me, the leader. Because the more we can cut down on the guesswork, 
the more we can speak a consistent and similar language across the business, and this is one of the reasons why I really like continuous improvement, because while the language of lean and Six Sigma can be daunting and somewhat unapproachable, once the whole organization is talking about standard work, and once the whole organization is talking about, oh, we're going to run a Kaizen event, and we all know what that's all about, then a lot of these communication barriers start to get broken down. Because as the leader, I'm letting individuals all across the company know how I tick, how I process information, how I make decisions, and that cuts uncertainty down. And we're all speaking the same language. Now I've just taken two of the big variables out of the equation. And now I've got a better chance that my message is going to get through in the way that I intended it to. Going into it with that perspective is really more than half the battle. Because if you understand that going in, you're going to be more sensitive to different styles of communication and different ways people are going to receive messages. And that, that's going to make a huge difference for you. We're going to just take a quick break here and then we're going to come up and wrap it up. I'm going to ask Andy to wrap up by talking a little bit about some specific words that he uses on a regular basis to kind of hone his philosophy for a balanced life. All right, we're back with Andy Tempty, president and global head of corporate learning at Kaplan. We've talked quite a bit about balance and the movable middle and leadership versus followership. Andy, as we kind of wrap up here, what I always try to do in this Take Action Today segment is, you know, give our listeners some real strategy that they can implement. And one of the things that really resonated with me from your book was you have a list of six words that you use on a very regular basis, both at work and at home to kind of, you know, hone this philosophy for a balanced life. You kind of use them as you need them. Maybe you can talk about that here as we kind of wrap things up. One of the things that I learned very early on is that words need to be followed by action. So I want everybody to uh, be have that frame in mind as we're talking about the words that I live by. And then the second thing that I want everybody to remember is that my words are highly unlikely to be the words that you adopt in your life. So number one, words need to become action. If they don't, they're meaningless. And number two, my words are not your words, and hence the homework (laughs) of this exercise. I have six words I live by. You might have four. You might have eight. You might have one. And there is a one-size-fits-you here as an individual. Of the six words, the three that I would pull out here, and to get all six words, you got to buy the book. Ha, just kidding. It is uh, agile, persistent, and industrious. So one of the things that one of my mentors, Carl Swayzer, that I mentioned earlier in the podcast, is Carl said something very specific to me. He said, Andy, if you're not moving, you're standing still. And that might seem like the most obvious thing that you've ever heard in your life. But when you step back and think about it, it is so profound because that's how I end up as the movable middle. It's how I end up as the permafrost and the clay layer is by standing still, is by 
being caught in that velvet ditch that I talked about. So the word industrious to me means always moving, always pressing on edges, always learning new things, always getting myself out there. Because if I don't test myself, if I don't push on the edges of my own capability and the capability of my team, then we become stuck in that velvet ditch. The other two words, agile and persistent. So if I'm industrious, in order for something to really come to fruition, I have to be persistent. I have to keep at it and I've got to keep marching toward my goal. But if I march toward my goal in an industrious fashion with a fixed mindset and that this is the only path that I could ever get to that goal, then I'm setting myself up for failure. So I've got to also be agile and I have to have the ability to pivot and to adjust And remember that sunk costs are just that. Sometimes you just got to walk away from a path you've been walking down for quite a while. That same goal is out there. We just have to take a different tack. Getting back to the boating, (laughs) we've got to take a different tack and we've got to get to our goal potentially in a different way. So being industrious keeps me away from uh, being Uh, pigeonholed as the movable middle and the permafrost. Being persistent will ultimately get me to my goal, but with a modicum of agility so that I don't get stuck in that same path and I never quite get there. What's interesting to me about that is we started this interview talking about balance and how balance would be like standing still, which never really happens. And then we're ending by saying, Carl saying is that if you're not moving, you're standing still, which so effectively, like as good as balance may be for a few seconds, it's never really good that long because then ultimately, what are you doing? You're going to become the, the clay layer essentially, unless you keep on moving. So that, I don't think we planned the, the interview this way, but it was interesting how we kind of came full circle there. And uh, I'm glad you and your mentor came through here at the end to, to help us out. But really what going back to that for a second, the words is important because you and I are both very interested in learning and education. To me, learning happens through application. It very rarely happens through the actual class when you're sitting there. The words is a great example because someone might listen to us talking here for a little while, and if they can come up with a word or two that they find to be helpful for them, and then next time they get into a situation at work, they can bring that word up. To me, that's real learning. You know, that's real application. And so that's what I really liked about that part of the book or, you know, that part of your philosophy is, you know, you're trying to take things that you've learned up here and bring them down to the ground. And if we can do that, again, the same thing with the podcast, I don't want you to just listen to the conversation that Andy and I are having here. We want you to bring it down to the ground in some way when you go back to work or when you go back home. That's learning for me. And it it sounds like, you know, a lot of stuff that we're talking about here, we're both on the same page with that. And I think it'll be really, really helpful for engineers. Even if you're learning something seemingly esoteric, like let's say Eastern philosophy, a lot of people would say, what am I ever going to do with Eastern philosophy? Well, there is a way to bring Eastern philosophy down to the ground, as you suggest, and think about uh, things like philosophy, Eastern philosophy, how can I bring some of those concepts into my day-to-day being and help thinking about continuous improvement in standard work, how can I iterate and become that 
next best version of myself. Even uh, education that is not focused on building particular technical skill or a particular thing, even round, quote unquote rounding education can be brought down to that. What can I do with this and how can I be that next best version of myself? Again, it's about bringing it down to the ground. And I feel like you've given so many ways throughout this book for people to not just learn about what leadership is and learn about the importance of dealing with people and balancing life and work, but how to actually do it. You give countless strategies. And that's what I really appreciated about the book. And I think that our listeners will as well. Again, the book is Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire. It will hit digital and physical store shelves on April 6, 2021. Andy, thank you so much for spending some time here on the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. We really do appreciate it. And loads of fun, Anthony. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dr. Andrew Tempty. I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the book. And again, you can check it out on Amazon and pre-order the book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire. If you're looking for a leadership book that just gives you actions you can take and frameworks you can take, which is kind of exactly what we try to do here at EMI is to give you actions even through these podcasts, then check out the book on Amazon.com. The other announcement I want to make real quick before we wrap up for today is we have remastered our People Skills course. The new Engineering Leadership Accelerator People Skills Development course will launch in just a few weeks. If you're interested in joining the course or learning more about it, visit engineerpeopleskills.com. That's engineerpeopleskills.com. We've actually produced a six-part video series that we put a lot of work into. Totally free series. We're going to be sending it out starting next week. And basically, it's going to help you understand the steps and frameworks you need to build the people skills you need to be a great engineering leader and manager. So again, you can check that out at engineerpeopleskills.com. Again, I hope you really enjoyed the episode today. I would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Visit engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. There on the Engineering Career Coach podcast page, you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode. Look for episode number 239. You'll find links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during the episode. And please be sure to continue to build the skills that you need to engineer your own success. We'll see you next time. The strategies that you heard in this episode will be of no use to you unless you take action and start to implement them in your career immediately. To help you do that, we have designed a system that you can use at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. It combines live monthly webinars with PDHs plus a private forum giving you access to coaches and premium content focused on helping you build your management and leadership skills. Join us for our next live webinar at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and we'll help you engineer your own success.